Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. For further information about Northridge Church, visit us online at northridgethompson.com. Y'all give him praise. He's worthy. Give him praise now. Come on. Give him praise. Amen. All right. You may be seated. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Give the band another hand. Didn't they do amazing? At the onset of King Solomon's reign, begin to see a young boy, a young man who was following in his father's legacy, King David, who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. We know, of course, King David failed many, many times, but the Bible says that he never turned his back on David's calling. He never turned his back on David's, the blessing that, that God had placed on David's kingdom and on his kingship. But it's interesting that, that King Solomon is noted as being the wisest man to ever live. The wisest man to ever be born of a woman. And he's to begin to dialogue with God on how he didn't feel worthy to, to rule the kingdom. Especially in light of his father's kingship. God began to come to him one night in a dream and he, and he told him, he said, anything that you ask of me, I will give it to you. How would you like to have that type of promise from God? Anything. Because he doesn't promise you and I that. In fact, he says sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes, guess what? It rains on the just and the unjust. Hardships will come. How many of you know that? But he said, anything that you ask of me, I will give it to you. Now, I just want to ask you a question. If that were the case today and God came to you and said, anything that you want, I will give you, would you ask for, God, give me a good marriage? Would you say, God, give me a, a good child, give me a good job, give me a good church, give me a good house? Or would you ask for the perfect marriage? Would you ask for the abundant relationship? Would you ask for the exceeding? Would you just really sit down and fathom for a moment just how wonderful you could ask God for anything that he would give you exactly what you're asking him for? None of you would just ask for good because good is not really the best. And I submit to you today that much like Solomon prayed, and listen to the words of his prayer in Proverbs 14 and 12. I'm sorry, in Proverbs, 1 Kings 3 and 9, he said, Therefore give your servant understanding and wisdom that I may be able to discern, everybody say discern, to discern between that which is good and evil. Anything you ask me, Solomon, I will give you. And he merely asks for wisdom, for discernment. I mean, think about that for a moment. And then he goes on to say, why? So that I may lead your people. That's a pretty unselfish prayer, is it not? Why would King Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, ask for something quite so unselfishly? Because he knew in his wisdom that if he could discern between good and bad, good and evil, that he would always be able to make the, the choices that would lend itself to the blessings of God. Proverbs 14 and 12 says, There's a way that seems right or good unto a man, but that way leads to death and destruction. If you look at our culture today and you think about today, what is good? And if I were to survey you today and say, tell me some things that are good, you may begin to pop off some things that are good, and we may agree with you. But I submit to you that if you go back 50 years ago in our own culture, the things that we're calling good today were very much close to evil yesterday. That our frame of reference, if you will, the perspective by which we come from, has really determined what's good and what's evil. 
I've used this many, many times, but I think it's a great illustration. Look at Elvis Presley, who in the 1950s came on the Ed Sullivan Show, and quote, unquote, they could not film him from the waist down because he was gyrating his hips. They called it evil. They called it satanic. And yet today, that would be one of the most lighthearted songs you could ever imagine. One of Elvis Presley's songs. Nothing at all like the stuff that we see today. Today, we would call that good. Yet in that day, 50 years ago, they call it evil. If you look into going to school and I said, you know, just let's just shoot for good. Let's just try to make a 40 on all of our tests. How many teachers in the house? How many of you know that would not be some really good goals to shoot for? Not really, not really reaching for the stars, right? Let's just try to make a 40. I mean, if I told some of your students that, you'd be like, okay, clearly you're not a tutor. But I submit to you that if you go and follow along the Hall of Famers in baseball and you come to a man in the books, number one, all-time leading batting record is 366. 366.06. 3.6 times out of 10, he got up to bat and he got a hit. 7.3.05 times that he got up to bat, he did not get a hit. Yet Ty Cobb today is number one on batting average, less than 40%. See, it really depends on which frame of reference you're coming from. If you want to make a, a 40 in school, that's not good. All the teachers said amen. But if you go play baseball and you can get a 40%, you're going to excel the number one guy's batting average in, in the world. His name is Ty Cobb. See, it's, it's a frame of reference. If, if I told you today that we had a house for you that was three bedrooms, two baths, and you were living on the street, and you would say, man, that's good. That's That's awesome. And you would be tickled to death. And if for your frame of reference, that would be good. But if you tell that to a person who has a $2 million estate in Los Angeles, California, and said, hey, I got a house for you. It's three bedrooms, two baths. It's good. They'd be like, wait a minute. That's not so good. I'm downsizing. I'm going the other way. It depends on the frame of reference. Same house, different perspective, different frame of reference. So that brings me to this idea of what is good. Is good good enough? Is it okay for me as a pastor to tell you to simply just do good. The problem with that, Darren, is that when I tell you to do good, out of 275 people sitting out here today, that, that there would be 10 of them that would say this is good, another 10 that said this is good, another 20 that would say that. And the reality is, is good is based on our own perception. That's why God said, be ye holy for I am holy. Be ye separate from the world. Separate yourself. Sanctify yourself. You begin to understand that, begin to understand what happened in the garden, all things good. If you have your Bibles today, our text today is just turn to Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to refer to several scriptures. And if you're looking at me and saying, Mark, your red shoes don't match anything you have on, like my wife did as I was leaving the house, I'd have you to know I have a sweat rag. Don't judge. You look into the creation account, all things beginning, and you realize that when God created things out of nothing, ex nihilo, he breathed it out of nothing, that he looked upon the face of the earth and he said what? It is, say it with me, it is good. The things that God did, he saw they were good. And then in Genesis, don't turn there, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 and 17, the Lord took man and put him in the garden of Eden, attended and to keep it. 
And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of the tree of the garden you may freely eat. Of every tree. Everybody say every tree. Of every tree of the garden of the, uh, of the garden you may freely eat. But. Everybody say but. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat. For the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. That all things good, God is simply placing man in his creative Unction and looking out and saying it's good, and he created man and he said it's very good, and then he places him in the garden to walk with him in the presence of God every day, aside from death, aside from despair, aside from hopelessness, aside from bitterness. It's utopia, it's perfection. Horticulturists today will tell you that there were some 2,500 tree types in the garden, one of pretty much every kind that we have today, but only one that he told him not to eat from. Yet interestingly, we look in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, our text today. Now the serpent was more cunning. Of course, we know that's the enemy. That's Satan. He was more cunning or crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, listen to what he said to her. Has God indeed said? He's questioning God. He said, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst or the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it nor touch it, which he did not say, by the way. She's misquoting the word. Can I tell you something? Come back tonight and I'll show you that if we misuse the word of God, our whole life leads to destruction. But you shall not touch it, which he did not say, lest you die. Verse 4. Then the serpent said unto the woman, listen to how he said it, surely you won't die. For God knows that in the moment that you eat, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God. Can I tell you, that's been the M.O. of Satan since the beginning of time. He wanted to be like God. God cast him out because he wanted to be equal to God. He told Jesus when he went to tempt Jesus in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights, he took him up on the high plateau. What did he tell him? Bow down and and worship me, and, and all of this can be yours. All the enemy wants from you is your worship. And make no mistake about it, child of God, church member, man, woman, boy, or girl, you and I are worshiping something today. You're placing worth in something today. Every single one of you, look to your checkbook. That'll tell you where you're placing the most worth. Look to how you spend your time. That's how you place worth. Look at what you're talking about. Look at what you're posting on Facebook. Look, Lord God, don't look at what everybody's posting on Facebook, but check it out. What you say, what you do, how you spend your money, your time, determines how you place worth. Everybody say amen. Watch what he says. Verse 6, here's our text. Then the verse uh, 5 says, For God knows in the day that you eat, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. Verse 6 is our text. So when the woman saw that the tree was good, everybody say good, for food, and it was pleasant. Everybody say pleasant. For the eyes, and the tree was desirable. Say desirable. And to make one wise, say wisdom. She took of its fruit, and she ate. And therein ensued the catastrophe of sin entering into the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for your word that you hold above your own name. I pray that you would speak to us today through these few points that we're going to lay out, Lord, to help us to walk above good, but to walk in holiness. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. The enemy is called by many names. One of most importance, I believe, most telling of his character is he's called the deceiver. Revelation 12 and 9 says, And the great dragon was cast out, the old serpent called the devil, Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. 
he was cast into, into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him, speaking of the time that he's going to be cast into the lake of fire. The very place that he's leading the world today by deception is the place he himself will be cast into first and foremost to burn, not to have a key, not to have a, a party with Ozzy Osbourne. There's not going to be a, har- a party in hell. Okay, it's total destruction, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Literally, a man, the scholars say weeping and gnashing of teeth means that the pain will be so bad that man will chew through his own gum. John 8 and 44 says the devil is the father of all lies. But one of the most frightening, most frightening to me is Matthew 24 and 24. Speaks of false prophets, wolves in sheep's clothing, false preachers and teachers. Guys, we are bombarded today by epidemic proportions of men and women who are standing in the pulpits around America who are preaching a false gospel. If it doesn't come from this word, it's false. If it's not predicated in the word of God, the written word of God, the unadulterated, unapologetic, holy word of the infallible God, guess what? It is error. It is erroneous, and it is false. And watch what he says. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and they shall show, watch this, show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible that the very elect shall be deceived. You know who he's talking about? You and I. That even we can possibly be deceived because of false teaching. Second Corinthians, watch this, 11 and 3. The same man who in the doxology of his own life encouraged Timothy while he was in a Roman prison awaiting imminent beheading, and he encouraged his young son in the faith, and he talked about finishing his course and keeping the faith and fighting a good fight. He was also the one who says, you and I have not been given the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The same guy wrote the second letter to the church at Corinth in chapter 11, verse 3. Listen to what he said. But I am afraid. Wait a minute, Mark. I thought he didn't have any fear. No, no, no. This This freaked him out. This made him afraid. Watch what he said. I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his own cunningness or craftiness, that your minds may be led astray, listen, from the simplicity and the purity of your devotion to Christ. That you may be led astray by the simplicity of the gospel. That maybe, just maybe, we have made it so simple that people think they can get saved, they can come to be a child of God, and they can live like hell in the world, and nothing's going to happen. Can I tell you something? The penalty of sin is still death. That God still expects holiness. But I love that. You know why, Sean? Because he's not asking me to just do good. He's just simply asking me to give myself over to him. Because you know what? If I'm called to be good, then good is a frame of reference. So think about this for a minute. I'm going to give you four things real quick, and then we're done. Eve, placed in the garden, had never been gossiped about. Never went to a PTA meeting where she felt attacked. She never had a child speak back negatively to her at this point. She had never been raped. She had never been bruised. She had never been spoken harshly to by her husband. Never been cheated on. Never heard a curse word. All things good. And if I can add to that, she lived in the garden walking with a holy God who created all things. Can I say to you, that's a pretty good environment. And yet the Bible says that she was deceived by what appeared to be good. We'll give you something real quick. 
message, if you're taking notes, is entitled The Dangerous Good. I'll give you four strategies the enemy used then and he will use today, real quickly, to rob you of holiness and allow you to live merely a good life. First thing he did, he got Eve's attention off God's generosity. Genesis 3.1 says, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? <clears throat> you know, the enemy does the same with you and I. He takes our attention off of all things that God has given us and places our heart and our mind on the one or two things that he's withholding. How many of you this morning got up and said, Lord, praise Jesus. I have running water. Praise the Lord, I have a roof over my head. Praise God, I have electricity. Praise the Lord, I have somewhere to lay my head in a bed. Praise God, I have a car. Can I tell you something? If you have running water, a roof over your head, and a refrigerator, not even to mention nothing being in it, you are among the 1% wealthiest people in the entire world. Did you thank God for that today? Or did you get frustrated because my dishwasher is not running right, my pump's about to go bad. Lord forbid you have to wash dishes the way you used to. My dryer went out. God forbid you got to go hang them out on line or, or drape them over the, the bathtub. Anybody ever draped them over the bathtub? You know that's redneck. Y'all got your hands up. I'm just saying. <clears throat> First, we must always see God's goodness. What did he say? God said, of every tree of the garden, you may eat freely. 2,499 trees. He said, go at it. You want to go pet a lion? Go have a blast. You want to go over here and play with the deer and the antelope? Go, go do it. 2,499 trees you can freely. Everybody say freely. That's a good God. Everybody say good God. You can freely eat of those trees, but of one tree, just one. He only withheld one tree. But Satan took his attention off of God's generosity and saw what he was withholding. Number two, not only does the enemy take your eyes off of God's generosity, the enemy negates the word of God. And I'm going to continue that tonight. Listen to what he said. Genesis 3, 4. Then the serpent said unto the woman, you will not surely die. I'm going to ask the band to come back up because I want to finish this out. I don't want any breaks. So hear me. Surely. This good God who has created all of these things, the wonderful, plenteous, splendid, majestic. I mean, look at that sunset. Look at that lake. Look at that gazelle running. Surely, Eve, the God that comes in and out of the garden with you in the cool of the day, surely he won't kill you. Some of us today in the church have negated the word of God. We do it to make all decisions that we make. We have decided that it's okay if we want to live together because it's, it helps us to, to pay bills. It helps us to build relationship. It helps us to sample the waters before we enter into a marriage covenant. We've simply negated Ephesians 5 where he says the bed is undefiled and holy before God. We've negated the fact that God said in the beginning, it wasn't good that man be alone. I bring a help me to her and the two shall become one. We've negated the word of God when we say, you know what, I get off work. I, if I want to go to the bar, if I want to go to the club, if I want to take a pill and knock a little. Listen, we negate the word of God by making decisions that we consider to be good because we're just better than our neighbor. As long as I'm in church and as long as I do this and as long as I do that, surely God will understand. Have you ever said that? I have. Don't raise your hand. I have. Surely. 
God is not expecting me to give 10% of my $75.80 a week. Surely God doesn't really mean for me to do that. Maybe, just maybe, God is saying, when I can find you faithful with $78.33, then I can trust you with $150.45. Surely, God means exactly what he says. Surely, God is not calling me to forgive someone who has spoken negatively about me or hurt my children or somebody who has backbitten me or somebody who has lied about me. Surely, God doesn't expect me to forgive that person. Then I negate the word of God. That if I can't forgive the people who have trespassed against me, then how will my Father, which is in heaven, forgive me for my own trespasses? We negate the word of God. The enemy says that every day over our lives. That's why it's important to know the word of God. Lest you be deceived. If I stand up here and I quote scripture to you, you had better go home and check me on it. Lest I deceive you. Because it's happening all over the world. People are taking verses, one verse, and building an entire theological position on that one verse, negating the 66 books of the Word of God. Thirdly, not only does it not deter your eyes off the generosity of God, not only does He not negate the Word, but He perverts the character of God in Eve's eyes. Genesis 3.5, here's what the enemy told her. <clears throat> you know why God won't let you eat of that tree, Eve? For God knows in the day that you shall eat of that tree, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. <clears throat> this breaks my heart to say this. But what the enemy's doing then and what he's doing now is he's making God look like a taker instead of the giver that he is. Can I get personal with you? Can I be transparent with you? Why, if my dad had the faith of a, a grain of mustard seed to move a mountain and be cast into the lake, why, if I'm a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, why, if my family and my entire family serving a holy God, why, if I'm a tither and I'm not a cursor and I don't cheat on my wife and I'm not a backbiter and I'm not those things, why, Fred, can I not come to a holy God, get on my face before him and say, heal my dad so that he may serve you the rest of his life, God. And he takes my dad, yet he heals the guy down the street who's living like hell. God is a taker instead of a giver. No, he's not. Because my dad is in heaven today seeing God face to face, fully healed, fully aware. I don't know. I don't know why God chooses to heal some and not heal others. I may never know that, this side of eternity. But you know what I do know? <laughs> I serve a good, good father. He's a giver of life. And bless God, the Bible says he's the giver and he's the taker of all things life. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Guys, if he created it, if he holds it in his hands, if he sustains it, he has the absolute right to choose when and how I go to meet my glorious maker. He's not a taker. He's a giver. And then lastly, he offers Eve the good 
quote-unquote, that God has withheld. The enemy is offering you the good that today that God has withheld from you. Genesis 3, 5b says, your eyes will be open. If you do what I'm saying, Eve, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. James, and I'm about to close. James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote the epistle of James. One of the most marvelous books in the New Testament. Five chapters. Profound doctrinal teachings. And he said in James chapter 1 and verse 16 to 17, <laughs> every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He is a changeless God. Every good and every perfect gift, notice good and perfect are different, comes down from the Father of lights. It originates in Him. It's sustained in Him. It ends in Him. It's all about Him. He is the giver. He is not the taker. And you know what James is saying to you and I? You want to live beyond the deception of the enemy and the false teachings of this world? Instead of just grabbing on to good, grab on to God. Because here's what he's saying. All things good consist in, begin in, and end in God. Outside of that, there is nothing good. That's why when we ask the bad question, the erroneous question, why do bad things happen to good people? I have an answer for that, church. There are no good people. There are none good but God. Oh, listen, we live in a small town, Bible Belt, USA, and we think we're a pretty good guy, pretty good gal that does an occasional bad things. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're crippled in your sin. Your best day that you bring before God is as a filthy rag before a holy and righteous Father. And you might do an occasional good thing. That's the reality. So what is he saying? There's nothing nothing good outside the goodness of God. There's nothing good outside the framework of God. Today, no matter how pleasing it is to the eye, Eve said, the Bible said Eve saw that it was good, saw that it was pleasant, it was desirable, it would give her wisdom. I don't care how desirable it looks today. I don't care how pleasing it feels today. I don't care how good it is. I don't care how bad your wife spoke to you yesterday. I don't care how good it feels when you get high. I don't care how good it feels when you put money in your pocket because you stole it from the friend or the IRS. I don't care how good it feels if it's not originated in the person of Jesus Christ and lines up with the written Word of God. It is not good. Flee it. Where are you today? Where are you today in the, in the framework of God's goodness? Where do you stand today if God should call his church home? Do you know that you know that you know? 
that if you die today, you spend eternity in heaven? Or are you living that, hey, I'm a good old fella. Surely God won't send me to hell. Surely you will walk right over the good intentions of that very comment, and you yourself will walk right past the finished work of the cross, and you yourself will walk into the pits of a devil's hell, because surely if you don't receive Jesus as the Lord of your life, you cannot be saved. You cannot be born again. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man, no woman, no boy or girl comes to Jesus except by way of the cross. Surely he meant that. My God is a giver today. One of the greatest things he gives is he gives life. He gives life. The Bible says the wages of sin is death in Romans 6, 23. But watch this. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. I'm saved by faith. I'm saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. Everybody say gift. Guess what? Gift is something that is given. And to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become a son of God. Every head bowed and every eye closed. You know, we could just say, let's pray a simple prayer. But I want to tell you something. That doesn't any more saving you than getting in a car and asking to be a race car driver. But if you pray today in faith and you repent of your sin and turn away from the wickedness of, of sin and the, and the path that is leading you away from God, confess your sin before him. You invite him into your heart. You tell him that you'll live for him. And you have a changed life. He'll save you right here, right now, today. Pray with me in faith if you'd like to know that. If you'd like to know Jesus as the Lord of your life, pray with me right now. Say, Father in heaven, I am a sinner. I believe in Jesus. And I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart. Forgive me of all my sin. Today I turn away from that. And I turn to you. Jesus, save me. Be the Lord of my life. And this is very important. Pray this prayer. Say, and help me to live for you. Holy and acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name I pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you prayed that prayer today in faith, I wonder, would you, without any personal debate or hesitation, lift your hand right now. Hold it up high. I just want to pray for you. I'm not calling you. God bless you. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Anyone else? Looking around. Anybody else? Amen and amen. How many of you can say, Mark, just be honest. I've been striving to just be a good old guy, a good old gal. But today I understand that I need to be holy. Help me to be like God. If that's your prayer today and that's been your shortcoming, I wonder would you be faithful today and just lift your hand up and say, Mark, that's been me. I don't want just good. I want to be like him. Lift your hand up all over the room. Hands are going up everywhere. The Bible says you have not because you what? You ask not. Here's what I want to do. While they sing, the doors of our church are open. If you'd like to be a part of our church, our fellowship, we'd love to have you. If you've given your life to Jesus today, I'd love for you to come out here and, and be able to tell me what you've done. Or if you just want to come down here and pray or come shake my hand and just walk away just to acknowledge that today God did something in my life. And today, good is no longer good. I want to be holy. I'm not going to ask you to stand to your feet because I know you're hot. But I want you to look this way. The doors of our church are open. Please don't sit there just because it's more comfortable than getting up. I get it. It's hot. But I promise you this. God will bless you if you'll take one step for him. So as they sing, I'm going to stand there here on the ground. If you just want to come shake my hand, if you want to join our church, whatever God's called you to do, I want you to come now.